All right, so let's, let's carry on then with, uh, with our series that we're in uh, during the month of September in the book of Acts. And I was thinking about this and I've chatted about it with several people, but one of the positives, maybe uh, a big positive that could come out of this year, and let's face it, this year has been full of negatives, hasn't it? Even yesterday, uh, or actually the last couple of days, I've seen several clips of people saying, could this year get any worse? And now this, and now this, and it just seems like one thing after another. But actually, I think there's a positive, and the positive will be if the bubble has burst. And what I mean by that is, is this. When we meet one another, you know, at uh, bump into each other in the supermarket or in the car park or walking your dog or your sheep or whatever, you know, whatever gets you out and about these days, when you bump into somebody from church, you say, how are you? And the natural response is, fine, thanks, how are you? Doing okay. And maybe the bubble that needs to burst, or that is bursting, is that idea that maybe that might be true. You know what I mean by that? You talk to somebody, and they say they're doing okay, and you could normally, under normal circumstances, think, well, maybe they are. Maybe everything's going as it should. Maybe work is good, and family is good, and health is good, and there's no concerns, and all is well. But now, with everything that's going on, isn't it true that now... When we speak to somebody and say, how are you doing? We know they're not doing well. They're not doing perfectly. We know there is something weighing on everybody. It could be health concerns. It could be concern for a loved one that is having to uh, you know, isolate or, or shield in some way. It could be concern for older generation. It could be concern for how the children are getting on with school being so different to usual. It could be concern about work and whether there is work after the furlough scheme comes comes to an end. One way or another, it could be issues that have been raised by lockdown that have nothing to do with lockdown, but they've become more vivid, more tension, more difficulty, internal, within a marriage, within a home. It's almost certain that when we talk to one another, we're talking to somebody that is not doing fine, right? And that means that every time we bump into each other, every time God brings us, uh, you know, to cross paths with one another, we have an opportunity to do ministry, an opportunity to, to care, to encourage, an opportunity to find out what is, uh, you know, what is really going on. And, and really, when we're in those moments, one-on-one, an opportunity to pray for one another. And maybe a year ago, that would have felt really weird, like praying together. That's like a prayer meeting kind of thing. But I wonder if after 2020, we will be much quicker to pray with one another. I hope so. And so we're in this series called Unstoppable Church. And what we're doing is we're going from our context of 2020 in all of its uniqueness, and we're going back to the book of Acts, a book where actually their context is a little bit closer to ours than maybe it felt a year ago. That is to say, we cannot do church in what has become the traditional way, nor could they. Right? We're living in a society and a culture that's divided, that's tense, that's got this kind of overhanging dark cloud of death despite the good weather. And so were they. And so what we're doing is we're kind of bringing our eyes into the book of Acts. We're not trying to study the whole of Acts. We're just working our way through Acts and spotting moments where we go, oh, that feels really relevant now. And so last week we thought about the issue of, is it ever right to disobey the government? 
That is probably not a question we even thought about in 2019, but now it's starting to become a concern. What do we do when, when all these laws and guidelines keep coming at us? What's the right response? And please do go back and listen to that for that, because the basic approach is yes, we obey, and yes, we do what we're told. That's our standard default approach, but there could come a time where it's necessary not to. We talked that through a bit last week. But that came out of the book of Acts because they were faced with authorities that were antagonistic to their existence as followers of Jesus. At this point, we don't have authorities that are overtly antagonistic to our existence. But we do have a culture that, in part, is very antagonistic to God existing, God being mentioned, God being honored, and God being followed by anybody. And so it's a, it's a tension that we're feeling. This week... We're just walking along in the text. Next thing we come to is prayer. And actually prayer is a big subject all the way through the book of Acts. And so maybe prayer needs to be a big subject in our thinking too. I suppose on a kind of big scale, there's a couple of truths that weave their way through the book of Acts. One of them is a little, really just a little word when it was written by Luke. It's just a three-letter word. For us, it's a longer word. Although having said that, the word is necessary, but, but often in the ESV it's translated must, it must be. And multiple times through Luke and through Luke's writing of Acts, he comes out with this statement, it must be, it must be. And it's this, uh, some people even refer to it as the mustness of God's plan. Like God is working out his purposes and it has to be this way. There's a sense of, uh, of God's control, God's uh, sovereignty over what's happening. And yet, at the same time, that doesn't lead to the people in the book of Acts kind of shrugging and saying, huh, well, whatever. If it, you know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, let's just get on with life. They don't do that. Instead, they're gripped by a, a real sense of their need. Things are not okay. And they felt it and they knew it. And so, yes, God's got a plan, but we feel our need. And so in the book of Acts that has 28 chapters, I counted at least 28 occasions where it refers to them praying. And so they were people of prayer, often together. And so even corporate prayer, Christians meeting with one another and praying is a big theme in Acts. And the basic point of today's message is do that. All right, just try it, it's great. We may need to get creative. We may not need, be able to do prayer meetings and prayer gatherings as the you know, traditional format, but I'd love it if we'd come out of 2020 as a much more praying church, wouldn't you? It'd be a wonderful thing. So for example, I'll just give, jump forward in the book of Acts. Uh, I love the story in Acts chapter 12. Speaking of persecution and pressure, they did have authorities that were against them. And at the start of Acts 12, King Herod got hold of James, the brother of John, and executed him. And he saw that that was a popular thing with the crowds because the culture was against them too. And, and so James was executed. And so then he arrested Peter and put Peter in prison thinking, right, a few days, I'll get Peter out, put him on trial, probably execute him too. My popularity is going to go through the roof. And so Peter is in a seriously serious situation. It's perilous. He's in prison and the trial is coming. 
Now, you remember last week we talked about Peter and John went up to the temple, got arrested after preaching and causing a bit of a kerfuffle, and they ended up in prison. And then that night they got out of prison, they were released uh, kind of secretly, got out and went back into the temple and were preaching. A bit embarrassing for the authorities. Well, I wonder if that was part of the thinking, because in Acts 12, when Peter's arrested, there are four squads of soldiers put on him. Four teams of four that would rotate, taking turns to be basically tied to Peter as Peter's tied to the prison cell. And so he's chained between soldiers with soldiers watching and other soldiers guarding. And in the middle of the night, we're told that, that uh, an angel came and stood before him and woke him up and said, hey, Peter, come on. And the chains came off and, and he kind of walked out of the prison cell past, you know, climbing over sleeping Guido and Stefano, wherever they were, climbed over these soldiers, climbed out, walked down the corridor, through this door, through that door, got to the gate. The gate swung open. He walked out and then the angel left and he suddenly realized, oh, I, this, this isn't a dream. Like that literally did just happen. Weird. Whoa. And so his first instinct was to go where he knew the Christians would be. So he went to Mary's house, Mary the mother of John Mark. That, I think tradition tells us, is the house where the uh, Last Supper would have happened. So a, a family of Jesus followers. And when he gets there, the Christians are together. They're praying through the night. He's in prison, they are praying. There's a problem, they are praying. It's a great story. Peter knocks on the gate and uh, the servant girl Rhoda comes to the gate and she's like, who is it? Peter. Which Peter? What do you mean which Peter? Peter, Peter. Prison Peter. Ooh. And so she runs back in to tell everyone Peter's outside, but she forgets to let him in. So he stood outside like, oh, my God, this is crazy. What's going to happen? You know? And then eventually he gets let in and he gets to tell these people, hey, guys, thanks for praying. Voila. <laughs> right? Thanks for praying. Here is the answer. It's a great story. And a great example of difficult situation, the instinct of Christians is to come together and to pray. I'd love to know what they prayed. Wouldn't you? I mean, like, how, how fervently did they pray? How, you know, how on target did they pray? Did they kind of beat around the bush? Did they, did they kind of ask God to just be with Peter? Or did they ask God to release Peter? Did one of them say, Lord, I know this is crazy, but would you send an angel and get him out of there right now? I don't know what they prayed love to know but it doesn't tell us which takes us back to Acts 4 where we were last week because when Peter and John got out from the authorities and kind of came back to the believers then we are told what they prayed and I want us to look at it I want us to look at the prayer that is recorded for us in Acts chapter 4 starting at verse 23 and what I want us to see is seven truths about God. Once I read it to you, you might think, hang on a minute, you preached that fairly recently. I, I looked back, I thought it was fairly recently. It's actually 22 months ago, so I'm not going to test you on my last message on this passage, all right? There's no pressure here, no exams or anything like that. But when I preached it before, it had three points. And the, the three points, I'll just remind you, are pray for boldness. Number one, because you're scared. Number two, because of who you're praying to. And number three, pray for boldness. Don't pray for circumstances to change. I don't know if you remember that message or not. I kind of had to remind myself. But, but I'm not going to preach that outline this time because I want us instead to see the seven things this passage tells us 
about God. Let me read it to you and then we'll quickly work our way through them. Seven truths that if these truths grip us, then the result of that will be we'll be praying. Right? We will be praying together during difficult times. Acts 12 is not what I want to read. Let's go to Acts 4. Okay, so Acts 4, verse 23. So remember, Peter and John had uh, been released from the, the Jewish authorities. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then that's the end of their prayer. We'll stop there. Seven truths about God. Okay, and I, I'll put them in the email so you don't need to try to remember them particularly. In fact, you don't even need to, I've almost said, don't need to read the email. You do need to read the church email. It should be your second favorite thing to read all week after this. But but you don't need to read the church email to get the list of seven. Just go back to this passage because they're just in order. Okay, really kind of obvious, I think, once we see them. Seven things, seven truths about God that if these truths grip us, we will become more prayerful. We will gather together. We will bump into each other. Our dogs will be friendly while we pray because of these truths. Okay, so first one, right at the start, Sovereign Lord. It's not a common phrase or, or label for God. It's used in Luke 2 by Zechariah. It's used in Revelation 6 and it's used here. In all three cases, it's people looking to God and recognizing that he is in charge. That's the, that's the kind of start. In charge God. That'd be a good way to start our prayers, wouldn't it? In charge God. Master, boss, boss of everything. We come to you. That's what it means. It means the one who is in charge. Sovereign means he's over everything, right? Lord means he's over everything. It's like he's the in charge, in charge one. It's in charge squared, right? There's lots of in chargeness charging through these two words. He is in charge and that's who we pray to. And if we're gripped by the reality that God's in charge, then praying to him when we feel our need would be the most natural thing in the world, wouldn't it? We could stop right there. That alone, if that truth got us, our prayer lives would be stirred even more. But that's only one. Number two, the next thing they say is who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Heaven, earth, sea. And if that doesn't include everything, everything. Right? So the in charge one created everything, which means 
whatever the circumstance we're facing, whatever the trial might be, whatever the question, the concern, the doubt, the worry, the fear, the anxiety, whatever it is, it is within creation. Right? If it is a, a little virus that's multiplied and spread around the planet, it's within creation. I don't know what a virus is made up of, forgive me scientists, but the bits of a virus are within creation. Right? The, the politicians are within creation. The, the, everything that, that brings fear to us is part of this realm. There's nothing that comes to us from outside of the cosmos and takes us by surprise and makes God panic because he created the whole thing. And here we are within it. And the things that trouble us, the things that concern us are things that are part of what he made, which just reinforces that he's the one that's in charge, doesn't it? He's in charge of it. The business you work for is within creation. Your difficult boss is within creation. The lack of uh, customers that's threatening your business, that's all within creation. It's all part of the realm that God has made. So he's in charge. He's created everything. And then on the back of that, the next thing they say is, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said? And they quote this little bit here from Psalm 2. And so this is a thousand years before when the Psalm 2 was written by David. And it's anticipating into the future when all the peoples will gather together to go against God and against his anointed one, his Messiah. And they're looking at that. And so verse 27, they say, you said that through David a thousand years ago. We've watched that because Herod and Pontius Pilate together with all the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered against Jesus. We've watched that with our own eyes. What are they saying? God, not only are you in charge, not only are you the creator, you're the predictor. You're the one who knows the future. And if we had time, we could go through the Bible and we could give example after example after example of where God says, let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to be like this. And some of those things are, are fulfilled within a few weeks or a few months. Sometimes they take a few decades, sometimes centuries. Sometimes they're still out into the future from us today. But the point is God has never predicted and failed. He's got a 100% track record of predicting the future. And when people see that, it's so astonishing. They either fall down and say, wow, God, you really are in charge. Or they, they kind of try to explain it away and in some cases kind of end up saying, well, that wasn't written then. You know, that had to be written later because there's no way you could know that in advance. But God does. He knows the future. Which means that there's nothing happening in your life or in mine that is taking God by surprise. He's so in charge that if we could travel through time, which we can't, and we could interview God and say, God, sorry to ask a random question, but distant future 2020, what's going to kick off? Oh, you're talking about COVID-19. Like he knows from thousands of years ago, he knows what we're going through. He knows what you're going through. He's able to predict the future because he knows it. But then they carry on and it gets even stronger. Verse 28, it says, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It's not just that God knows the future, but God 
plans it. Somehow, and we're not going to get our heads around this fully, but somehow God isn't just like an amazing prophet who can anticipate things or an amazing estimator who can guess things. He knows exactly what's going to happen, but somehow he is sovereign over that. His plan is being worked out. And so somehow this pandemic is part of his plan. Somehow, these issues that are on the news are part of his plan. That doesn't mean that God is, you know, trying to kind of throw nasty stuff at us, but somehow he is at work through all of it. And he's got a plan and a purpose. And, and I don't know about you, but I kind of felt in myself like everything just went pause in March. Do you notice that? Did you feel that? Like church, we're not meeting. And you're not allowed to work and you're not allowed to go out. And, and it was just like everything stopped. And in some ways it was a little bit nice, wasn't it? But, but it was sort of like an enforced holiday. And we almost fell into the trap, or I did, almost fell into the trap of thinking, well, when things get going again, as if somehow God's plan was on pause. And the whole point of this series is to remind us and to encourage us, God's plan is not on pause. God's plan is this. God's plan is being at home with twitch.tv. God's plan is these circumstances. And we may not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And we do know that he's got a plan, and we do know that he's holding our hand, and we do know that he is able to carry us through this. And because of all of that truth, the natural response when we feel our need is to say, oh, sovereign Lord, need to tell you about this. Because you've made everything and you've predicted it all. You know the future. More than that, you've got a plan you're working out. This present reality is part of your forever plan that's being worked out. Just like we read about in Acts. You started your church and it's unstoppable. No matter how much we think it's on pause, it's not. But then it carries on. Verse 29, he says, or they say, And now, Lord, look. Look upon their threats. Their threats being the threats of the authorities back up in about verse 21, 22, whatever, just before this. Like their threats 25 minutes ago kind of threats. You see what they're saying, verse 29. Now, Lord, look upon this. We don't just have a God who created everything and sees the future and knows the end from the beginning and has a great plan. We've got a God who sees the specific circumstances we're in. So when you have that phone call or you get that letter or you're in the midst of that conversation, as you're sitting there with that thought absolutely terrifying you, whatever that thing is, you can cry out to God and say, Lord, see this. He does. Because we have a God who is right there, who's aware, who's watching. Like the story of Hagar back in Genesis 16, a whole circumstance got turned upside down and she flees into the wilderness with her son and just despairs of everything. And then God meets her there and she calls him God who sees. Like there she is under a bush, ready to just give up existing. Just take me now, let me die. I don't want to eat, drink, breathe. I'm ready to go. This is a disaster. And then God meets with her and she realizes God was right there the whole time. God saw her situation and her response was to call him the God of seeing. That's our God. 
as your God, when life is tough, when circumstances are overwhelming, when it seems impossible, God sees that. As in he's right there, he's fully aware, he cares, he gets it, he knows your situation. The God who sees is the God we're praying to, which hopefully motivates us to want to pray. What number was that? I've lost track. Was that about five? Okay, so the God who sees, verse 29, now Lord, look upon their threats. And then they ask, the only request they make in this really is to to speak with boldness. But then notice verse 30, this is important. While, so see my circumstance, see my specific situation. While, number six is the God is working. Even when we feel overwhelmed by our circumstance and things seem so negative, God is at work in the world. God's plans are being worked out. So in their situation, they said, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, because that's what was happening around them at that time. I wonder if sometimes part of the struggle we have is that we're out of touch with what God is doing in the world. And we can feel like, you know, oh, this situation is so overwhelming. But we haven't read anything, we haven't seen anything, we haven't heard anything. We're out of touch in this hyper-connected world where our kind of Facebook accounts just get overwhelmed with people showing us their latest cake. You can kind of lose track of the good stuff that's happening, you know? God is working. Lives are being transformed. People are being saved. People's lives are are being transformed, coming out of other religions, out of terrible circumstances, right across the planet. It's all, I mean, the statistics are overwhelming. The number of people that are coming to faith in Jesus, the the number of people, groups, movements of people that are, are absolutely being gripped by the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God has sent Jesus into this world to die for their sin. And if they will trust him, they can have relationships with God. There's people right across the world wearing all sorts of interesting clothes, looking very different from us right now, who are hearing that message and are saying yes, and they're turning on the radio and they're going on the internet. I remember that lady that visited us a little while ago, some of you remember. I remember her talking about going to a country in the Middle East and meeting 200 people that had come to faith in Jesus just from YouTube in a country where it's not allowed, it's not legal. And she was giving Gospels of John and she gave a Gospel of John to somebody who had already memorized the Gospel of John from watching it on YouTube. God is at work. He's doing amazing things in the world. He's doing amazing things even within this community of believers. And as we communicate with one another, let's share those things. Let's tell one another of the answers to prayer that we're seeing so that we can be encouraged because so often when we're in the midst of it, it just kind of closes in, doesn't it? And we feel alone and especially during lockdowns, we can feel so isolated and we can end up feeling cut off and the only information that's coming at us is the information that the media wants us to see and that's not pretty stuff and it's not biased. I mean, unbiased is not even accurate half the time. I mean, there's this, this kind of deluge of negativity and we can get trapped in that, but we're praying to a God who is at work. And so there's six things in the prayer, right? He's in charge. He's the creator of everything, including the circumstances you're in. He's predicted the future. He is working out his plan 
right? He sees your specific situation and he is at work all around. That's plenty of reason right there to turn to God and pray when we're sharing our struggles with one another. But then there's number seven and number seven comes in verse 31. It says, and when they prayed, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The seventh thing that we need to keep in our thinking, kind of tucked away in the lockers of our hearts, is that we have a God who answers prayer. Seems kind of obvious, but I think it's actually a good thing to say right at the end because they prayed and voila, there was the answer. Just like in chapter 12, they prayed and, oh, Peter's at the door. Now they prayed and there's the answer. Now, I'm not talking about the room was shaken. That's the exciting bit. I'm sure you'd love to be part of one of those kind of prayer meetings. The kind of prayer meeting where it's, it's like God steps into the world and everything moves for the people that are aware of it. That's awesome. But what I'm referring to actually is the end of the verse. They continue to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what they had asked. That was their prayer. Lord, we want to speak with boldness. Boom. They spoke with boldness. They were filled with the spirit and the message kept going. And these people who were afraid, these people who were scared, these people who were under threat, these people who were in the most difficult of circumstances prayed because of the truth that they knew about God. Because they knew that he's in charge and because they knew he created everything and because they knew that he predicted the future, that his plan was being worked out, that he saw the specifics of their circumstance and he was at work around them. They prayed because he's the God who answers. And because those things were true for them, this passage is an example for us. And so when you bump into somebody in the supermarket or in the car park or walking your pet, when you encounter somebody don't treat it as a coincidence. Treat it as a God incidence. Like maybe God has brought you together. And you know, sometimes you've only got 30 seconds and just a smile is all you can give and that's great. But sometimes you have five minutes and you can say, how are you really doing? Or hey, what's the situation with, with your child's schooling now? Or is anything bothering you? And we can be real with one another and then, then we can pray. We can say, hey, let's just pray quickly together. This, this seems too important. We feel need and we've got a good God. Let's pray. And together we can pray. We don't have to be as eloquent as this. Lord, there was this message and I can't remember all seven things. In fact, I can't remember any of them. But something about you being in charge. And since you're in charge, here's the situation. He loves that kind of prayer. Here's the situation we're facing. Lord, please, would you do something? Please, would you do this? Please, would you help us? Please, would you encourage us? Lord, my brother, my sister here is having a rough time and I can't, I don't know what to do to help, but I, I pray for them that you'll really help them. We can pray to this God anytime, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how difficult things get, because these truths are still true. We are people who have need and maybe we're recognizing that more than ever. And we're people who've got a God that we can go to. And so let's do it. Let's come out of 2020 more prayerful, more together prayerful than we came into it. Because by God's grace, maybe the bubble of I'm fine can finally be burst.